part two of the Protect Your Neck podcast. Dan, Tom, and Keith Schillen break down their top five reluctant heroes in MMA. Tech Connect podcast for the top five reluctant heroes in MMA with Keith Schillen from SureDog, MMA Takeover, and a bunch of other places like the Loudmouth MMA Podcast Network as well. We're going to dive into history like he's done on said podcast network before, but I get to borrow Keith's brain. Dive deep because uh, this topic, again, top five reluctant heroes. Um, when you go and look it up, a reluctant hero, it's usually a hero who maybe didn't want to... Uh, not so much unsuspecting, which is why I, I, I added the verbiage of unlikely, uh, thanks to Keith there. But also, you know, like, for example, if you type in unluck- unlikely hero, I think, I don't know about you, Keith, but in Google, the first image that pops up is Frodo, Frodo, <laughs> Scrotum Baggins, Frodo Baggins, uh, there, Elijah Wood, um, and, as a reluctant kind of hero. And um, I feel like MMA has a lot of those, whether we're talking about, you know, fighters, uh, I, there may be even good cases for coaches, or promoters, or CEOs, or whatever. We may go a lot of different realms, but within MMA, um, whether it was for a single night, a certain fight, a tournament, uh, a certain point or stretch of their career, maybe there was someone that was just really hated, and by default, this guy became the hero for the night. There's a billion, not not a billion, but there's a lot of scenarios out there. It was a broad one, but did you kind of get that that gist as well? And is is, is that uh, with where you work? Yeah, I think... I think we're on the same page. I got five guys that are were in in scenarios that were most people probably didn't pick at one point that are in certain scenarios. So that's where I went with, and uh, we'll see if we have similar lists. You know, and not to tip too heavily, but like for example, most lists will maybe be UFC heavy for me and the guests without trying to. Sometimes that's just kind of how it, it, it tends to happen. Um, this list. I will say I found myself going way more back in the future and way more outside the U.S., maybe North America, let's just say, than in most lists. And and maybe that's because of, uh, you know, tournament eras were more higher back then. There was more spectacle, spectacism matchups. There was more uh, loose, uh, loose, if not no, athletic commissions. I'm sure these were all reasons why my studies went that way. Did you notice that with your studies without giving away too much, Keith? I have one guy that is what well, I will say relevant today that fits the list, and the and I have four from way in the past. Cool. All right. Well, um, I, I usually like to let the guests go first, but this is your first time, Keith. So if you want me to go down the slide first and you follow suit, we can do a Chinese fire drill later. Let me know. Would you like to go first? Or? <laughs> how, how, however you want to do it, man. You're the man. All right. You know, I, I'll lead us off first because this is one of the first people that uh, came on my mind when thinking about this list. Um, he didn't end up higher. He ended up actually on the number five spot. I thought he would maybe end up higher. But, again, this is something that I notice when I do these a lot, and maybe you notice it for your, your research in this study, Keith, where maybe you have something on the list or at a certain number, and you go back and watch it, and either it falls off your list because it didn't quite click for you as much, or it clicked and it hit those emotional strings more, and you're like, oh, this has got to be high up on the list. But uh, this one, I guess, kind of fell somewhere in the middle. But uh, John Charlie Brenneman. Defeating Rick Story at UFC on versus four. This may 
No, this is may, may or may not be more, probably my more newer selection. May or may not be one of my only UFC selections. But for people that don't know, I know this is a really random, super random pick, but it's the first one that came to mind because after winning the welterweight title in Strike Force, Nate Marquardt uh, having this career resurgence, if you will, at welterweight. He goes back over to the UFC amongst this merger where fighters were kind of playing it fast and loose, but the organization was folding at this time. And uh, he's supposed to headline the card versus Rick Story, who uh, upset Tiago Alves. One of my first upset picks in gambling plays, by the way, back in the day. Picked Rick Story to beat Tiago Alves. But uh, and Rick Story was way too much of a favorite to play this time around because it was, you know, it was a last-minute thing. Um, Charlie Brenneman was supposed to fight someone else and find, finds out on that day that he's going to be headlining. The funny thing was, though, the fight card took place in Pennsylvania, and there really wasn't much Pennsylvania-based fighters. I think Charlie Brenneman, due to the fact that he wrestled there, was one of the only fighters with a Pennsylvania tie. So you see him at the weigh-in before he knows he's going to be at the main event. He's got his Pittsburgh P.I. hat with the beer cans and his fucking straws in it. And, uh, and, uh, and yeah, and... Charlie Brenneman never went on to achieve much. He didn't have the highest ceiling. You know, he had Mike Constantino in his corner, that old-school Jim Miller corner. Love Mike Constantino. But this was Charlie Brenneman's best win. And you know what? For one night, he got to be a headline of the UFC win and be the hometown hero for one night. And it ended up being the high point of his career. So I give him a number five. Well, that's not one that I would expect to make the list, but uh... – Man, my my man Dave Stewart, who who I started the MA takeover with a long time, which we don't exist anymore because we've all gone our separate ways. Uh, but my man Dave Stewart, he, he loves Charlie Brennan. He would have brought this up, uh, and the guy that he he would have mentioned the the guy that Brennan was supposed to fight was TJ Grant. Yes, remember the oh, great TJ Grant. Grant, and that fight got canceled. It didn't get canceled that day. Or something like that, or the day before the weigh-ins, and then they yeah, Greg got sick. Scattered this one, yeah, scattered. A, a similar situation would have been like when Verdum got put in with um, Walt Harris last minute. But yeah. imagine if Walt Harris won. Yeah. Now Rick insane. Story obviously didn't. Rick Story didn't have the same. You know, he's not Fabricio Verdum, but it was still that same. It was like it was a huge step up, and he was you know go from you know deep in the undercard to a co-main event. Man, that's that's a very fun. Very fun. That's a digging deep pick, man. I love it. It's a digging deep pick, but it's almost worth it, even though even if it's a hipster pick. Like you, you, you got to appreciate those small stories. You know, the small stories of success some guys are able to walk away with. Yeah, man, I love it. I, so, are you ready for my fifth pick? Yes, please go, go. All right. So, so before I make my picks, I just want to say I didn't do any of the, the big massive upsets. So, was set, okay. you know, Matt Sarah winning the title. Yes. Yeah. Because it's been done a million times. I'm Those glad. Yeah, because that, that kind of goes. That, that kind of crosses over to underdogs and yeah, biggest yeah, upsets yeah, yeah. of all time. Great call. Great call. I want to put three out there that I almost picked. I almost picked Forrest Griffin's run to become the champion because that was a guy that would, would just the way people viewed the, the first season. Yeah, the, that would have been great. The, yeah. the Ultimate Fighter. Um, I almost gave Robbie Lowe his second run in the UFC because remember he got brought in to lose to Josh Koscheck and he was considered a, a a kind of a a a bust as a prospect and then end up going on to have a great run and become champion. And the other one I almost picked was Frank Yeager just because of how undersized to beat a great like um, BJ Penn. But I I did instead of a one night I went with a full like kind of career and I went with Igor Vochanchin and, and why I picked him. This is a guy that was five foot eight. He was about 220 pounds, eventually going on to light heavyweight at 205, but he fought at heavyweight. He went on a 37-fight winning streak that is the record for most straight wins in MMA in, uh, that, is, that is recorded. During that stretch, he won 11 different uh, championships or tournaments. Um, he went on to reach the heavyweight Grand Prix uh, tournament finals. 
And um, during that stretch, he beat Mark Kerr, who at the time oh, many yeah. people thought was the baddest man on the planet. He won UFC 14 and 15 tournaments back to back. He was undefeated in pride. He just, I mean, he wasn't just beating guys; he was mauling guys. I mean, that's yep. what you think of Habib. That's what he was. And Vochenko was a kickboxer. And this is still, you know, you're getting past the the one dimensional era, but it's still, you know, it's it's definitely way more one dimensional than we have today. And not only was he a kickboxer, but he wasn't like this, you know, he wasn't a K1 level kickboxer. He was, you know, a Ukrainian champion, regional champion, things like that. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't Mark Hunt and, and Mirko Krakow kickboxer. No one, no one expected him to become this legendary fighter and, and being so undersized. I mean, five foot eight. I mean, that's shorter than Habib is today, and he's fighting at heavyweight. So um, that's why I don't know if anybody, when, when Igor Vochanchin turned to MMA, I don't know if anybody expected him to, to do have a 37-fight winning streak. Now, obviously, the, the Igor haters will point out that, you know, not the some of that run is not the biggest names, not the most impressive wins, but still, 37 wins in a row. Um, I thought that was very unlikely. I apologize, people listening to me uh, shuffle through papers. I'm trying to figure out where I had Mark Kerr in my top five Mike Tyson archetypes, either at number two or one. Because uh, for people that don't know, like that was a big fucking deal. Yeah. And I'm glad you put yeah, Igor Vochanchin. We almost had crossover. He's written down here in my honorable mentions list. Okay. Um, for for a lot of the reasons you said, but but mainly for his uh. I have it pulled up here too. What's it, what was it called? It, there were two actually one night tournaments, but one there was a nice like if you Google it, you'll find a, like a Facebook video that still exists on it. Someone did a sweet collage where he beats like three giants in one night. Again, kind of illustrating the point to Keith this being a five eight heavyweight and Ice Cold Vosch just ices three guys in one night. He did that twice in a row amidst this streak all the way back in like nineteen ninety seven. Um, yeah, he is he is a, yeah he and he's a guy like and. Yeah, I mean, and two, he's actually like a really nice, humble guy. When you go look at like backstage footage, like if you watch, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll bring up later, um, a documentary. Uh, what was it called? The Mark Kerr, the Smashing Machine. Like you see, like Igor was yeah. a very humble guy, and people still respected him, obviously, because they saw what the fuck he could do. But like, yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, that's there's a definite argument for him being on the list, which is why he's on at least at the very least an honorable mention on mine. So great, great, great pick there, Keith. Um, number four, I think I'm hoping I get you to pop for this one. This is right up your alley, Keith. This one is also UFC. I lied. I do have another UFC pick here. This one, <laughs> this one has some controversy. This is why it's a little high on the list, but it's fucking awesome. Again, this sport, kind of like Charlie Brennan, it's not the sexiest name, but this sport does not allow you to walk away with much that's a positive. Let's be honest. It's a very fucking tough sport from a financial health to the proverbial glory. Am I right, Keith? So if you're a guy that's yeah. a U- U- sorry about that, I had, no, a, I had it on mute while, oh, you're, while you're talking. Oh, you're good, sorry you're good. about that. So so if you're a guy that's a, I won't do that that much. That was just a random one. But uh, so if you're a guy that's like uh, much less, you know, you could say you headlined a UFC fight and like were a hero for one night, like Charlie Brenneman. What do you say if you were a UFC champion, not just a UFC champion? Oh, I I think we got the same pick. All right, I but what? I, I have no, a number four. Is it no. number four as well? Not number four. Okay. It's actually if, if um, it's, number three on my list. But okay. actually, I think we have the same pick. I, if, I like where you're going. If it's crossover, that's fine. We'll double dive into this one. We'll just okay. we'll just we'll, just, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll do a switch for the format. But the audience, yeah, will yeah. this is your number three. Okay. But uh, even if you were the least popular, and if we looked at least popular UFC champions, I gotta argue your number three possibly, and my number four has gotta be top on the list. That's Steve fucking Jenum, baby. Steve Jenum fight kit. Shut, it, give bro. me the Steve Jenum fight kit, baby. I'm still waiting. UFC He's three. American dream. You got, so I did. I cheated and I did a slash 
and I put chemo slash Steve Jenner. I did a, oh, shit. a combo performance as in Remember, this is uh, September 9th, 1994. Hoist Gracie has just won back-to-back tournaments. He's put Gracie just on the map. He's shown that yes. he can't be beat. Um, and then Ken Shamrock is coming back after having a, having a nice run in Pancrates. It's supposed to be the big showdown. These oh, two yeah. guys are going to go at it. And then in his MMA debut, Chemo, just at that time, you know, Chemo Leopoldi, but at that time it was just Chemo coming out with a cross. Everybody thought he was going to get smoked by Hoist. Um, he ends up losing, but he gives him such a beat and in the process – that the the Gracie family, the most you know, the ones that they had so much pride, actually threw the towel in before the semifinals. That and, was a crazy uh, scene too, because I, I forgot that they actually let him go all the way out. And it's like yeah. it's it's Helio after their, them arguing with uh, who was the the more executive Gracie in the suit? I forget. Horion, uh, uh, Horion, Horion was 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 the one I think that kind of came in to try to call an audible to save face, if you ask me. And then you see he, uh, Helio from behind that is actually the one that throws the towel over the cage. I forgot all about that shit, but yeah, that was and crazy. You remember, Helio is the guy that got his arm broken in a in a fight against uh, Masahiko Kamura, uh, yep. and one to keep fighting he when they stopped the fight because his arm broke he was like i still have another arm and so it just shows the love of a father that he's willing to take a beating but he didn't want to see his son take a beating and, and it's it's actually a pretty nice moment of uh, father-son moment that he threw the towel in but yeah and then steve jenham ken shamrock decides not to fight in the final this this conflicting story some say he got injured some say he was so pissed that hoist didn't fight he just came there for hoist and uh and steve jenham a a uh, police officer going in undersized against Harold Howard and getting a knockout and becoming so. So if you ask casual fans who is the first champion of the UFC and you know a tournament, obviously people are going to say Hoist Gracie. If you ask who's the second champion, it's not Ken Shamrock, not Dan Severn, not who you know Randy Couture. It's Steve Jenham was the second person to ever win a championship in the UFC. It's crazy, man. And the fun, the, the funny thing, I know we're kind of, you know, there's there, there's a little bit of a of a nudge and a wink attached. Although I will give some legitimate credit to Steve here in a second. Um, you could argue that, and again, I'm, I'm maybe more out of school to make this because I wasn't around watching live back then. But this is like maybe the first UFC that people are actually looking forward to, right? The first one's a spectacle, and the second one's a follow-up. But what makes the third different from the second, kind of like you said, is the Shamrock and Gracie storylines. And I went back to actually watch this whole event because I haven't seen fights from it or the event in forever, right? And it was just a trip. It was so fun. But, like, they were really building up that angle, you know, that this is mm-hmm. – even when they are introducing – uh, they had that weird guy that all say the last name twice and shit. But even when they were introducing Ken, yeah. like Jenum, 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 but Shamra, he lost. Like they were like, it's a the G-Man, he is the G-Man, former, the yeah, the G man. Yeah, yeah. He is the former UFC. Like you know, how Buffer's trying to up the guys. Yeah. Like he's like he lost to Gracie. Like they're just like yeah. talking about like they're really trying to set that narrative. Do you remember what the cover was the cover the poster was was Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock. Yeah, because Shamrock went on to Pancreas and started going on a little winning streak, and it's the first time someone actually trained specifically for an opponent. Yeah. Ken Shamrock came in there to beat Hoist Gracie. Yep, yep, and he looked in great. He looked in insane shape. Like even for Ken standards back then, even he looked in insane shape. And it's crazy because production is playing all these things and. 
also helps support that chemo narrative. You kind of gave that little chemo nod there, Keith, but even production, because they're trying to fill time, right? While all these, again, this is all speculation. Yeah. We don't know what really happened. What nego- By the way, I was talking about Ken Shamrock, maybe not showing up or not showing up for main event. We'll, we'll maybe talk about again. But, you know, we don't know what was going on back there, but it's funny watching the production trying to hustle and, like, kill time and, like, you know, I don't know, just watching everybody in the background, too. I tweeted this, Keith, but it's great because it's early 90s and, you know, the, down in the south and they're like South Carolina or North Carolina for this one, and it's uh-huh. great. It looks like it looks like it looks every it looks like everybody came off the set from like 1987's Over the Top, and they're just in the yeah. audience. Like it's great, man. Like, yeah, yeah. Even guys like Har- 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 Harold Howard, Harold Howard. Look, he looks like the fucking guy that Stallone arm wrestles. The first guy yeah, that yeah. arm wrestles like that looks like it looks just like Harold Howard. You know, he reminds me of you know Bloodsport. <laughs> yes, the uh, the 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 John Claude Van Damme's like buddy. Who's yeah. Like, Gets like put in the hospital. That's who Howard Howard reminds me of. James Lynch is screaming at us right now in the podcast. Say, say his name. Say uh, it. I don't, is it like Jax or something? I, I'm, I'm, I don't. I don't know. No, I, I, I kill that James. James. We just we both just lost points in James Lynch's books. I don't want. I know we don't have a lot of time, but I I will give one to if you everyone wants anybody who follows the show want to reach out to me and want to discuss Bloodsport. If you if you like like having movies ruined, and I don't mean like I, the movie came out like thirty years, but if you want to give you a the true story of Bloodsport, it might ruin it for you. But if you if you oh, one of these people enjoys yeah, that yeah. stuff, reach out to me on Twitter. I'll give you the true story. I, 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 it's all fake. It's all fake. Yep. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard, I've heard that too. It's a bummer, but it still doesn't make me uh, not love the movie. Uh, <laughs> it's still a great movie. Yeah. Bloodsport. Yeah. As I look at the cast. By the way, my audible play here. Since you're, you're you're good on time, if we run a little, if we do end up running over our time limit for this episode, I'm just gonna chop it into a part one and part two, baby. I'm on vacation. Okay. They're, they're getting more. They're getting more than they bargained for. But uh, the blood Bloodsport. Oh, Ray Jackson. Uh, Jax. Hey, I said Jax. Jax. Maybe there that was go. his nickname though. Ray there Jackson. Donald G- played by the great Donald Gibb. Um, so don't worry about time, but you do owe me, that was your, obviously we both, oh, but real quick before we move on from Steve Jenham. So he's the, they, they have to call in multiple alternates. So essentially you have a final, um, you know, uh, although one of the alternates didn't make it through how Harold Howard beat an alternate in his semifinal matchup, right? No, so, he didn't. No, Harold Howard got the bye over Hoist Gracie. Oh, that's right. He got the bye. He, that's right. Yeah. He got so the a lot bye. of people will be like, a lot of people are like, Yep. Oh, that's not fair. Steve Jenner came in. He didn't fight anybody, and he won. It's like, yeah, that's cool, but he beat Harold Howard, who fought for 46 seconds against Roland Payne. Hey, so it's not dude, like you. And that, yeah. dude, that dude may have been like Canadian Chuck Norris, but he was, yeah. you know, for the skill level, again, this is another thing. Um, the reason why these things are easy for me to enjoy, Keith, is because I can put myself in that time, even if I wasn't yeah. a part of that time. So I'm judging things for how they were. And there were certain moves where when I would see a guy like float to mount, I was like, holy shit, he understood that that guy was going to give his back. And he took the, like, you know, there are little things that are like white belt shit from today's standards. But back then you're like, dude, that guy had to have been training that. He had to have known someone in butt fuck wherever he's from. Uh, there must be, you have to find the closest jujitsu school or somebody and learn that shit, you know, because they would reference like this. He's a striker, but he has been working on his grappling. And uh, you're like, holy shit. And the thing with Steve Gentleman, and that guy, by the way, even though he was a Canadian kickboxing guy, he had some weird jujitsu black belt. And boy, all the fake ranks were still floating around back then, yeah, weren't yeah. they? And you're like, what kind of jujitsu black belt does this guy have? But he, yeah. in Harold Howard's defense, again, this is the first Canadian great. Hey, this is the first Canadian UFC title challenger. Show some respect, right? But uh, in Harold yeah. Howard's defense, he was pretty decent. But Steve Gentleman, ironically enough, you're like, yeah, he'd have to beat anybody. Oh, funny, funny, last minute guy who steps in the. 
he actually showed some of the best technique of the whole tournament next to Shamrock, yeah, he, dude. He, like even he in his, threw straight punches. Yeah, he even in his bag punches. work promo, I was like, who is this guy? Because the great part was they were smart and they recorded promos for their alternates. So props to the UFC for thinking that far ahead. And even in his bag work, I'm like, this guy actually has the best looking bag work. And he's actually like splitting a jab and, and moving his head offline and changing his level, entering for a takedown. Like that's how he ends up winning the fight. Like he takes some damage. He does the Nick Diaz thing, says bring it on, even though he's bleeding against the big guy like it was like if i was doing a grading the, the the performance like i'd have to give him an a i was like steve jenna looked there like a go. complete fighter yeah he um yeah he, get, he gets the win he's for the rest of his life he's gonna be called a, a ufc tournament champion and i don't if, if i recall isn't the, that the fight where Howard howard starts the, the finals by doing like a rolling yeah he does the rolling thunder like, too scissor. yeah yeah rolling yeah thunder. It's a great, does... honestly if you want just a disaster <laughs> But also entertaining. Like, it's fun. Well, it, it's because, definitely a fun event. And because the sample size was too crazy, too, because you're like, wait a minute. Why is a heavyweight going to do Rolling Thunder? Much less than, like, the last round of a tournament. Shouldn't be – I know we got the buy, but shouldn't that be when he's most tired? But if you look at it, the sample sizes are all off. Like, there's a match that literally goes for 90 seconds with, like – Oh, they we're like 90 seconds in the Gracie and the Gracie and chemo. And they're like, this is the longest fight we've ever had. We've never had a fight go this long before. This fight's going on forever. How can they keep this up? And I'm like, it's, it's, yeah. this isn't even that long, guys. Yeah, that's like they talk about they talk about Hoist Gracie versus Ken Shamrock, the first fight, and as this like legendary fight that lasted like a minute. And yep. by like today's standard, like, oh yeah, like Gracie just caught him in a, in a choke, and that was the end of it. And it was like they made it seem like, oh well, Hoist shot in and, and Ken like stuffed his takedown and, and hip high hipped over. And there's a little bit of a scramble. Then we got caught in a submission. Like, Oh, cause he had a one second of offense. Like it was this legendary fight. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of the cool thing about watching it, but all right. So that's my number four. How about you give us your number four and then I'll follow up with our number three. And that should put us right back on track. Sound good. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So my number four, it, it might be living in the moment, but uh, unlikely and it's being unlikely in the situation he is in right now. I'm going Jorge Masvidal. Uh, you're talking about a guy nice. that came, came up street fighting. This is the, you know, Kimbo special, like the, 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 the little uh, under, you know, the, the, the street fighting lightweights. And, you know, backyard brawler, when he comes to MMA, he's, he's pretty much a B level fighter for being honest. Yep. He's a guy that you mentioned earlier, but he's a low output counter striker that kind of was, he, he was, had a habit of losing close decisions because he, he enjoyed like rolling with punches and Hey, I didn't get hit. So points aren't scoring. And I mean, you think about like he was on before his last, you know, two years or so, or two and a half years. He was probably his most famous moment was being uh, triangled, inverted triangled by Toby Amato. Yeah, it's posterized, was, posterized. Yeah. yeah, and losing to like Luis Palomino. I mean, he was not considered this legendary guy. And then he got the fight against Donald Cerrone, and he was the underdog. Most mm-hmm. people thought it would be like, oh, yeah, I get Cerrone back on track. And then he pulls the upset. And then it got back to, oh, it's Jorge Masvidal. He loses a close fight to Damian Maia gets you know, loses it decisively to, you know, not, not blown up, but loses, you know, a clear decision to Steven Thompson. It's like, Oh yeah. Gets brought in against Darren Till. It's supposed to be, you know, a name, but a bounce back for Darren Till. And then he gets that huge KO. But to me, the huge KO is not what made him a star. It was attacking Leon Edwards yes, afterwards. It was. And then, and, and, and then it, it, what happened was like, to me, 
the till was the first domino and he has just hit every perfect do- the do- the, you know when like if you get with your kid and you set up dominoes and you can do like eight in a row and then eventually you mess it up and then there's like the, the guy from Harvard who can set up its entire like dorm room and, and, and have it go and knocking bowling balls downstairs and like that's what seems like it's going on with horror but everything is perfect right now and the between punching Leon Edward to getting the interview with Brett Agamotto where he says, you know, I gave him a three-piece with the soda that everyone started loving that, getting put against Askren, having Askren just being the perfect guy to market that fight, be on an international fight week where Amanda Nunes, you know, obviously clearly cements her legacy with a high kick knockout of Holly Holm, where John Jones uh, loses, uh, loses the first time he lost on a scorecard Almost lost, you know, in my opinion, the greatest fighter of all time, almost losing to Tiago Santos. But the headline, nobody's talking about that. All they're talking about is Jorge Masvidal's flying flying knee knockout of of Ben Askren in five seconds. And then just when you think it can't get any better, you've got Conor McGregor tweeting about him. He gets mixed. I mean, him and Kobe Covington, his former former, uh, roommate, is now beefing. And then the UFC announces that it's going to be – Two fighters who aren't champions who are going to be fighting for this made-up belt now. That's how much they love this guy. They're making a belt for these guys to headline a card in the most famous arena in the world, Madison Square Garden. Now, this is a, a – you know, when they go to New York City, think about the guys who headline New York City. Con, the first show was headlined by Conor McGregor. The second show was, was the return of George St. Pierre. The third one was Daniel Cormier. You know, three of the best fighters of all time, or, or three of the, I shouldn't say best, but three of the, you know, three legendary fighters. And now it's headlined by Jorge Masvidal and Nate who's yeah. the perfect counterpart for him. So why I say it's unlikely the whole journey being from street fighter to like mid card B level guy, guy that like, like took a long time to get in the UFC to now being one of the biggest stars in the UFC. And really from what he just did in the last six to nine months, to me, it's incredible. And that's why I think it was so unlikely. Yeah, no, it is great. I mean, all hype aside, people don't realize how big it really is, especially for people that have been following it. A lot of the, the Jorge come lately, uh, as I, as I, as I like to call them, don't realize that this guy was getting posterized before he was posterizing others. He had to pay his dues. And also people that don't realize, I'm sure you come across this, especially with your contender series studies that South Florida, yeah, not just recently, but even back then, uh, when Jorge was fighting it, it's always had a a subtly deep pro pro am scene when you're getting from that amateur to pro uh, bridge, right? And early pro, it's a real fucking shark tank from all those levels down there. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and it's real sink or swim. So yeah, that's a great pick, man. I had him written down here as an honorable mention. Um, but it's a great pick that's apropos for today and really just a strong case overall, man. So, so good one there. And I kind of do, I, I haven't picked like one night moments. I've kind of been picking careers. So I got to, the rest of them are going to be other than the Steve Jenner, the rest of mine are kind of career picks. No, no, that, that's good, man. That's good. I, I, I have a lot of career picks written down and maybe, yeah, you know what? I mean, some of the, some of them you could make a thing for career, but a lot of these I pointed to one night, and that's definitely that's definitely my number three. Uh, my number three, we're gonna we've already kind of covered a little bit. It'll, 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 it touches a little bit, you know. It comes after UFC three, but it, it still kind of involves a guy named Ken Shamrock. There, uh, Keith, he he, All was, right. he was supposed to be in another main event, he didn't quite make it to. Some people say it was a pummeling drill. Some people oh, say yeah. it was oh, negotiations. I, yeah, okay, I know, I love it, love but it. I, I don't know if you can count Seth Petrozelli for a hero because considering that his upset over Kimbo Slice, speaking of street fighters like Jorge Masvidal, 
upset the world and literally crushed an organization that was probably headed downhill with their financials anyways. But they had a show planned after this, Elite that never happened. This was their last official show. I forget the uh, the guy's name, that real like uh, kind of the kind of real conniving bro guy. Like I'd tell like a girl to watch their drink around if they went on a date with him. I forget what their CEO was, but he always kind of was. Uh, he seemed like a character. But people that remember the Lead XC days, they got the CBS Sports deal, so they got a a big big showing there. I think we you know a, a big showcase showing, and they decided to put Kimbo Slice up, and he beat guys like Tank Abbott and James Thompson at the time. So he was beating guys. They were trying to give him the slow build, and he was the YouTube sensation. When YouTube, by the way, this is, uh, what was it, 2008? Uh, Elite XC Heat? Yeah, October 4th, 2008. So YouTube was just booming, right? It just it just became to the forefront. Um, you know, and then Kimbo Slice was amongst those. And last minute, they, they say Pe- Seth Petrozelli to go in. And there was a lot of controversy. I definitely want you to weigh in. There's a lot of controversy afterwards because after he upsets the world with his little jab, and it was it was a pretty decent one because, one, he was holding onto the cage, and, two, um, you can actually counterbalance off of kicks like a lot of traditional martial artist kickboxers do, like uh, Anthony Pettis does, just, you know, uh, what he did to Stephen Thompson. This was just an uglier version of what... Stephen Thompson got knocked out with by Anthony Pettis, where Seth Petrozelli grabs the cage with his left hand, like sticks out his front foot, and then uses the counter leverage of the kick chamber to throw yeah. like this little jab. But it was enough to cut Kimbo, knock him down. He finishes him, and then oddly enough, it maybe it makes sense with the conspiracies that happen because Seth Petrozelli almost sounds apologetic, like he's apologizing for the win. He's already like providing excuses that usually the fighter that loses kind of gives, but he's giving it for Kimbo. And you think he's just being nice, but in a radio interview later, Seth Petrozelli allegedly, he dropped it, allegedly claimed that he was uh, told to fight a certain way. And uh, yeah. I think Shaw, the, the the CEO, like was actually public with some comments that actually corresponded with that. So they got investigated. And as soon as that investigation started, Elite XC went down. And like Brenneman, he didn't have a big career, but you know what? Petrozelli forever has a place burned in history. Rogan always uh, recites that story when he was at the comedy show calling it because he knew Seth Petrozelli was a real fighter and that was a bad move. And and sure enough, he's in history. Yeah, yeah, that's a great call. I, I considered that one. Uh, I wanted to stick more to the uh, the career, but that's a great <laughs> one. And it ruined, yeah, the, the, there was a, a when we say organizations put stock in fighters, like, you know, the UFC put stock in Conor McGregor and this and that. And, and, and I think you can see it a little bit with the PFL right now with Kayla Harrison, where she's like, they, you know, they have a lot of stock. No organization put more stock than Elite XC put in, in Kimbo. And the whole, the whole organization folded between him getting knocked out and then announcing that he, he pretty much was going to get paid more money to stand up and bang with Kimbo and not to take him down. Yeah, and, and in the replay, it's awesome because you see like the the the, the elite XC brass like going no, like literally in the background while the stoppage yeah, is going yeah. on in the replay. And then you remember have- they had this, they had this <laughs> DJ thing going on during it. They had like a special yeah. DJ. Or was it? Or did Jared Show himself was a DJ? That something. Came, yeah, I can't remember. Oh, what a what a re- shit show. such a tool, such a tool move. And it was. But funny. aren't you glad that you lived through it? Like oh, it's the- such a shit thing. But I'm like, oh man, how great was that? It's I like think the, that's why like it's the so Gamma hot. days. Oh yeah, well, think- Gamma was gonna be a thing. Yama pit fighting? Oh, yeah. I remember remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's why some of these maybe are higher than they should be on the list just because, like, I wasn't around for certain things, but I was around for this. So that kind of really does it for me. That's definitely the case with my number one, and that doesn't give anything away for what my number one is. But that's definitely the case for my number one. Uh, Last thing I just want to say on this fight was – also, it was kind of cool, like, funny, like, can't you hear Frank Shamrock commentating? And I guess this makes sense in hindsight, because allegedly Frank Shamrock was a guy that was ready and willing to step in. But uh, Frank Shamrock in the commentary, you listen, and he's 
he's just laughing. Like, he's almost shitting on Kimbo, going, like, this is a different game, son. This is a different game. It's a real fighter. And he's like, the commentator is supposed to be professional, but I'm like, in hindsight, I'm like, if he was actually just gearing up to fight this guy, maybe in less than an hour ago, and it's Frank Shamrock, you know he's going to slide in some some little little quibs there, but yeah. Yeah, and, and and for those who don't know, this is before Kimbo Slice was on The Ultimate Fighter. Yep. This, this, was this, this is the first time he lost, and... Um, if you remember, just to talk about when you said like Frank Shamrock was laughing, people were rooting against Kimbo because similar to a lot of the hardcores and a lot of the fighters were rooting against the ultimate fighter people out of the first couple seasons because they looked like all oh, these guys didn't go through the hard road that we did, you know, coming up, like you said, like Jorge Masvidal fighting on the regional scene, getting underpaid, getting paid you know, a hundred bucks to fight, you know, in, in American Legion and stuff like that. So there was a lot of hate. So guys like Frank Shamrock would be hating on Kimbo and stuff. And it wasn't until he went to the ultimate fighter and people on the ultimate fighter, other fighters would be like, wow, he's actually like a really humble, nice kind of guy. And like, and everyone, and everyone yeah. kind of liked him and he showed a different side. It wasn't until then till, till, I mean, you obviously had the, you know, the casual fans that loved, you know, the people who never saw MMA and just heard of Kimbo and, Loved him, but for the most part, you go back to those like sure dog forum days where people. I shouldn't say sure dog like it's a past, but but like when I'm saying when I when I'm saying in the past, yeah, no, totally, yeah. about Kimbo in the sure dog forums, people were hating. Like, I remember that. So I remember much. that. Yeah. Like, if you like, if you said you were picking Kimbo to win, or you were cheering for Kimbo, it was like it was like you were cheering against MMA. Kind of like uh, the fast forward a couple years when James Tony came in to fight. Uh, Brady yeah. Like, no MMA fighters was hoping James Tony to win. That's how people lo- used looked at fans. Like if you if you rooted for Kimbo Slice, you weren't a fan of MMA. Yeah, especially because again, also this was a time period where you know we're on uh, ESPN was on Fox before. I mean, this is before those eras. Like there wasn't MMA on mainstream TV. So like for MMA to actually be getting a shot on a major channel and network, but then they're putting this guy. I think that's what a lot of the disdain was from too. Do you remember when he beat James uh, Thompson? Oh, that yeah. was like the first time. I mean, he beat Tank Abbott, but he was so old and so worshipped. He beat James Thompson. People were mad at James Thompson. Like, man, how could you let MMA down? Oh, yeah. There like, was like you just ear, ear down? gate, ear explode gate. People were rewinding. Like, well, was it because of the – look at the ear, though. Look, remember everyone was like having like arguments on like the, the validity of the, the injury and the stoppage. And, yeah, I remember a bunch of nonsense. But – uh you're number two, sir. You are now with the Chinese fire drill taking place. You are now you are okay. now first. So what is what is your number two? All right, my number two. I got it. Okay, so I did Kimbo and uh, my number two. I'm doing a career again. Uh, I am going to talk about a professional wrestler that went on to become one of the most legendary fighters in MMA. Uh, and you'll know as soon as I kind of give give a little background on him, you'll know who I'm talking about. He was an amateur wrestler with a catch wrestling background, but he was never, you know, he wasn't an Olympic champion or, or ever considered an elite um, amateur wrestler. Um, he was an undersized guy, not known for his striking, wasn't supposed to be a great uh, submission guy who ended up really being a great submission guy, but wasn't considered this. Um, and this is a guy that, uh, that got matched up against a Gracie for the first time. And in before Kimbo, uh, I mean, I mean, after Kimo showed a little kink in the armor, this is the first one to defeat a Gracie. And obviously by now, you know, what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Kazushi Sakuraba, uh, Kazushi Sakuraba, uh, was known as the Gracie killer, but that was a nickname that he didn't get at this time. It came later when he went on a run of defeating, four different Gracie's in a short period of time. And, and seeing Gracie's lose now is not a big deal, but it was a, 
I mean, it was a crazy deal oh, back yeah. then. Uh, the first one he went against was Hoyler Gracie. Hoyler Gracie, just to give you a little background, uh, he's a brother of, of the of UFC first champion, uh, Hoyce Gracie. He was a four-time BJJ world champion, a three-time Abu Dhabi world champion. Uh, I mean, when you say Hoyler Gracie was an elite grappler, that's an understatement. He's as elite as a um, and they fought each other, and Kazushi Sakuraba, who ex- many expected to get submitted, he caught one of the greatest grapplers in in history in a Kimura and had it where he's about to break his arm, and the referee stopped the fight. And it was contested by the Gracies, and everyone was mad, and it was like, oh, you're in Japan, of course you want the Japanese fighter to win, you cheated us. And even though he beat... Hoyler, the, the the kind of things that happened. Well, he was so much bigger. Hoyler was a very small guy. He was about uh, 135 pounds, something like that. And Kazushi Sakura was about 170s, 175. So he had he had some size on Hoyler, and then he technically never submitted him. Mm-hmm. So, what does the Gracies do? The Gracies cry, they complain, they do everything possible, and then they finally get Hoyler to get Kazushi Sakura and Hoyce Gracie to fight. But it's going to be on special rules. It's going to be on the Gracies rules. There's going to be no time limit. They're going to fight until someone gets knocked out or submitted. Kazushi Sakura does it. He's going against Hoist Gracie. Now, Hoist Gracie at this time, he's never lost. Um, the closest thing that came was Ken Shamrock went to a draw with him, but he never, no one, no one defeated him. Not Ken Shamrock, not Dan Severn, nobody. And the two fight for 90 minutes. And if you don't know the story, yes, that's right. 90 minutes they fought. And you think about how crazy a 25 minute fight is. Now, imagine doing more than three of those. Um, in those 90 minutes, uh, they both had their moments, but basically Kazushi Sakuraba dominated Hoist Gracie. He made Hoist Gracie look human, which no one's ever seen done before, to the point where he beat him up so bad that the Gracie family threw in the towel, which was unheard of. Not threw in the towel before a fight, but actually threw it during the fight, admitting defeat, which uh, they wouldn't, they, you know, this is a team, uh, family that was legendary for 100 years. It wouldn't meet, miss, uh, admit defeat. Yep. They had a thing called the Gracie Challenge where they were willing to pay anybody $100,000 if you could beat up one of them and then for them to have to give up and, and admit defeat. Well, of course, the Gracies wanted to have their comeback, and in comes Henzo Gracie. Henzo Gracie, uh, the reason why Henzo could beat him because he was well-rounded. Poish was never well-rounded. He never had stand Well, Henzo did. Right. And now, in this case, uh, he Kazushi Sakura beats him up and then breaks actually breaks Henzo's yeah. arm. Um, which stopped the fight. Henzo still wanted to fight with the broken arm because yeah. he's, he's insane. And then the last one, uh, High and Gracie, who, who who passed away, that's the younger brother of Henzo yeah. Gracie. He was the younger one. Younger, he's more, he was the more athletic one. This is the guy that was going to yep. stop him. And then he actually, Sakuraba runs right through him and takes him out easily. Um, and, you know, you had you know some of the greatest guys. And then Kazushi Sakuraba, not only does he beat those guys, he goes on to beat... Uh, Vernon Tiger White, Carlos Newton, Vito Belfort, Ebenezer Fontes Braga. Very controversial win against Guy Merzger, but Rampage Jackson, Kevin Randleman, Ken Shamrock, Ikehisa Punk, uh, uh, Masakasu Panaki. I mean, yep. these are all like very legendary fights. Oh, yeah, Masakasu. So yep, am- yeah. yeah, this was an amateur wrestler with not much of a background that end up out grappling four legendary Gracies. And I don't know if anybody ever expected that to happen. It's crazy because it's a great pick, but you almost don't. You forget about it as an unlikely hero because he's such a legend now. But that's a great story. And I was just watching his fight with um, Hoist today, actually, at uh, the Pride 2000 finals. And it's crazy. They throw in the town. And again, some of my favorite moments are from Helio. Like, 
Just I was like I'm, I'm always watching for weird little things when I'm watching tape. I don't know why. Like I, you just sometimes you find the coolest things in the little small pockets that they're not focusing on. And um, there's a moment they don't really focus on it too t- too long, but like you get a nice kind of upward from the ring view up to the ropes, and you see Helio um, kind of putting like a real genuine smile grin on his face and opening his hand out to Sakuraba after throwing the towel and giving him a handshake and like paying his respects. And yeah. I think that was a, such a cool moment seeing Helio Gracie. Uh, shaking Sakuraba, I, I just, I feel like that finalized it more than the towel for me. There's something I don't know yeah. special about that moment. To, to admit defeat, which is a film that, that family never did. I mean, they were, there's a there's, there's a lot of documentaries on the Gracie family, but there's one if you if you love that kind of stuff, and I'm sure you can find it. I think it I think it's actually it might be on Netflix. I I don't remember where I seen it, but my favorite Gracie documentary is called The Gracies and the Birth of Valley Tudo. And the reason why I like this documentary is they don't paint the Gracies as this perfect, super respectful family. Um, they show a different side to Helio, a, like, egotistic, um, jealous. Right. And it covers all the way back to when they first started with him and his brother. And it, it, it obviously has these really great moments and shows how great their family was, but it also shows a different side. So if you want to see a documentary that's really, really awesome, it's called The Gracies and the Birth of Valley Tudo. I'm going to have to definitely check that out. I think that's right up my alley for sure. I'm a history nut, obviously. Just jotted that down. No, that's a that that's a great one, man. And um, boy, I guess speaking of uh, – that kind of parlays into my number two. Can I can I go into my number two then? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Cause I was watching it because I was watching the Pride Grand Prix uh, 2000, the finals. That was just – that was a, a really fun a, fun a fun card. But there's just – there's two payoffs you can get from this. And um, part of the payoff is watching a documentary that I referenced earlier in the episode, and that's The Smashing Machine with Mark Kerr. And it kind of follows his run for the tournament, because Mark Kerr was favored to win that tournament. And a guy who wasn't favored to win was a guy that was helping him, and it actually ended up making for a better documentary, if you ask me. Especially if you don't like the typical, oh, I see where it's going. It's a typical story. The guy, the big muscly guy, finds a way and he wins. Like, no. Well, Mark Coleman was a muscle, but you get what I'm saying. Like, And it's weird because... It, my pick is Mark Coleman, by the way, folks. He, he won the Pride 2000 Grand Prix Finals. For those of you not familiar, um, I've talked about – I referenced this one kind of a lot. And with Mark Coleman, especially in his prime, just being a hulking figure that he was, he doesn't really scream unlikely hero, um, maybe even not even reluctant hero. But he was really a reluctant hero when you look at not just the documentary from behind the scenes, but you go watch and watch their opening, by the way. This is the first – it's in Japan, but it's a, apparently I believe, I believe this is supposed to be the first – one available in North American audiences live for whatever that is worth. And they almost do this like version of the UFC new metal open before the UFC was doing it, but it's actually better. And it's actually pretty damn good. And it, like they're highlighting the fighters and then they do the talking things. And for Mark Coleman's like, especially if you're a guy who like Keith, I'm sure you have a certain sense, not saying we have a sixth sense, not saying we're right, not putting us high or anything. But if you, anybody who's watched the sport enough times, you hear enough answers and you've seen enough, like gestures and mannerisms and enough fighters come through the doors that like there are some guys you can tell like when they're doing the the contender series has them too it's a little talk with the fighter to get to know him like you hear certain things and there's like flags right you're like oh this guy's fucking losing he's not confident at all you know there's some guys that, that give you that that vibe right yeah yeah of course yeah and not every- you know you know my favorite uh it you know, when the UFC, I mean, they still do it. They do the pre, like, they, they talk about the fire, but like, oh, coming up next. And then they have a little yeah. preview. There's a good one with Nate Diaz is going against Carl Parisian, and, he, and they talk about the matchup. And he's like, yeah, you know, I wasn't crazy being matched up against him. I'm like, what? 
<laughs> he's like, yeah, it's not, not the best that. Like, matchup that. to me. Yeah. yeah, I think it's like UFC. It's about maybe UFC forty four, forty five around that. I rem- yeah, I remember. Oh fuck, I remember that exact one too. Yeah, exactly. And like Mark Coleman does not sound confident. Like because he's like because keep in mind like he 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 won like they set him up with like a can to qualify, and then I think he maybe beat like another like really low ranked guy. But he got submitted by his first time in Takata. He got knocked out by uh, Pete Williams. I mean, you go back. I think like at this yeah, point yeah. of his he, career. He, he, he lost four fights in a row. Yeah, like he's only. But the, the, just for the record, the Takata fight is a known work fight. He 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 threw that fight. Yeah, yeah. There was there but, was the there was these. But before that, he lost three fights in a row. And it's funny. You even hear Stephen Quadros. I don't know if he's referencing that, but in the commentary when they goes, oh, he's never been submitted, and someone goes, he got submitted by Takata. Uh, Quadros does like, well, yeah, like kinda, he almost nods <laughs> yeah, to what you're talking about, which is kind of great. So that's yeah. a great point to throw in there. But yeah, he didn't sound confident at all. Like, you got to go back to Dan, his heavyweight title win, like in '97 versus like Dan Severn or some shit. You know what I'm saying? Like for like his last somewhat legitimate win. Um, and uh, and yeah, you even look at the commentary, like the the the, the documentary after the fact. Like it, he he doesn't. Like, he's more there just to, like, support his family. Like, he's already missing his family once he's there. And it's great because you see a softer side of Coleman. Because Coleman, you know, let's be honest, I'm not defending the guy. I'm not saying he was an angel or anything, Keith. Uh, but what I am saying is it's a great side to see of him because, for the most part, we only really got to see the turned-on part of sure. Coleman. Not that he wasn't turned off when the cameras were off either. Again, I'm not defending the guy's character. But it was probably the most endearing part of Mark Coleman's, maybe now, of course, with all the hell struggles he's been through. Hope he's doing all right. But yeah. it was a really endearing part. One of the most endearing, you know, like, you know, is he's freaking out. He's jumping over, like, the turnbuckles. Like, Remember he misses the turnbuckle? Yeah. Remember and he misses it, and falls? He freaks <laughs> out so much that he falls and then jumps through the ropes on the same turnbuckle <laughs> side. And you actually see, like, I counted two or three cameras that just got abandoned because the photographers fucking scrammed. Like, that's how bananas Mark Coleman went. People <laughs> thought he was, they were going to get attacked. They didn't know what the fuck this guy was going to do. It was great. Yeah, man, that's a great choice. It's a really good choice. <laughs> I mean, I get nothing, I get nothing to say, but that's just right. it's a legend. It's a legendary tournament. Um, I, it, it, I I don't know if you, I, I think you mentioned it. the guy he beat in the finals was actually Igor Vochanchin, yep. and he snapped a thirty-seven fight, Winning and that streak. was actually the fight that stopped the streak for Vochanchin. So yeah. yeah, that's a great pick. And man. Every, everybody was talking about like it was going to be Vochanchin and Kerr, and the announcers weren't afraid about making predictions. By the way, this is a different era, folks, and they were predicting outright. That Kerr was going to be in the finals and Vovchanchin. Well, no, no, Kerr and right. Vovchanchin, uh, they fought, they fought oh, each other. Sorry. They yeah. fought each other. Sorry. Oh, that's right. They had the rematch, but people yeah, were calling had, for Kerr. Yeah, that was right. Then, people were calling for Kerr, though. They had respect for Vovchanchin. They thought he was going to beat Coleman, but yeah, they were calling for Kerr to win the whole thing, though, Hoist, right? Hoist Gracie was in this tournament. Sakuraba was in this tournament. I mean, that. Like the Hoist Gracie, Kashisuki Sakuraba was part of the, it was the quarterfinals in this tournament. So yep. those guys were in it. Um, Gary Goodridge was, I think, was in it. And yep. then obviously Vovchanchin. Coleman, Fujita, yeah. Fujita, yeah, Fujita, yeah. I think that's who. That's who. I think that's who Coleman beat in the semis, right? Fujita. Yeah, Fujita was hurt though. He did a thing where, like, instead of like doing the thing like Gracie's, like where they threw in the towel uh, in, at UFC three for Hoist, uh, they, they did it different. They just Fujita was like, "I'm going to go. I'm going to try to shoot, and if that shot fails, then I'm just going yeah, to reel over right? and he tapped and grabbed his knee." Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. yeah. But, uh, man, I'm excited for your number one. I thought you were going to go with your number two for a second. I thought was going to be my number one. It still could have crossover. Let's see, Keith. What is my, your number one? My number one, I, 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 this is a definitely out of the box. I don't even know if it fits this. And I say why it's unlikely is not only who it was, but how it went down and why I believe these guys are heroes. 
Uh, we mentioned one of these guys' names. I'm putting this as a tag team effort. Again, okay. I'm, che- I'm cheating. All right. I'm doing uh, the guy we just mentioned, uh, the guy who had a, a work fight, Nabahiko Takata. And I'm putting him with Yoji Anjo as my unlikely heroes. Now, oh, holy shit. I, I know you know where I'm going with this. Okay, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. Nabahiko yeah, yeah. Takata and Yoji Anjo were two um, professional wrestlers. Yep. Takata was a very legendary fighter, uh, wrestler, uh, professional wrestler. And I don't, when I say I don't mean amateur, I mean like like WF style. But they were part of the uh, UWFI. No, I am by no means a wrestling historian, and I'm definitely not a Japanese wrestling historian. But I know a general idea of it. And one thing that you have to understand about Japanese wrestling, one they they add a lot more real moves into it. They take a they really respect the tough guy. You you can't just you can't just be an actor in there. You have to be like known for tough. You're supposed to be able to like actually fight. And then there's the the like protege thing is very important. Like, um, oh my god, who's the guy there? I can't think of his name right now. The guy who fought Ali. Um, yeah, uh, Inoki. Uh, Inoki's yep, yep. like like the Japanese version of Hulk Hogan. Well, Takata was like his number one protege, and then uh, Yoji Andrew was Takata's protege. Well, um, at this time, it was uh, 1994. The UFC is just coming around. The UFC just started. The Gracies are flying high. The Gracie Jitsu looks real. You know, looks as, as bad as it comes. Pancrase is out there. Shudo is out there, and people are starting to see real wrestling. Uh, I mean, real excuse me, real fighting, and and people are turning away from Japanese wrestling. Well, Yoji Endo is the ultimate company guy, mm-hmm. and he finds out like not only are the Gracies the baddest, but Hicks and Gracie is supposed to be the best one of all. So this is supposed to be the guy, and he's gonna not only is he gonna show that professional wrestling is better, but he's gonna beat up Hicks and Gracie. So. Uh, Yoshi Andrew is a guy who has an MMA record and is 0 in 5. He's yeah, never Mr. Mr. 200 percent baby. Yeah, yeah. He's he's lost to Tank Abbott, to Matt Linlin, to uh High and Gracie, some some notables. On December seventh, nineteen ninety-four, he flies to America with a like swarm of camera crews from Japan. Now what, the reason why is like you have to you have to think about professional. This would be you know, not John Cena, but like a very famous wrestler going to a gym and challenge someone to a fight. He does that. He goes to Hicks and Gracie's dojo to challenge him to a fight. Now, the Japanese media did not – I mean, Andrew's idea, he didn't think Hickson was going to take this. He thought he'd like turn it down <laughs> because Hickson has been offered to fight in Japan and he's turning it down because he's saying – like I'm not gonna fight in a pro wrestling circuit because if I win, people are gonna think it's worked. He didn't want anything to do with any kind of worked fights because he didn't want. He was worried not besides them thinking that fight's worked, they're gonna start thinking that all of the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was worked. Now he just won the Valley Two D Open. He's the baddest, you know. Many people consider him the baddest guy for a extremely long time. Hicks and Gracie is considered like this legendary. Nobody could ever beat him. He's probably the best fighter ever. I mean, for I mean, a very long time for. At least ten years after this incident, people still think he could come back. And I mean, there's there's probably yeah. somewhere yep. yeah. there's somewhere somewhere that thinks that Hicks and Gracie yet like sixty years old could get enter the UFC and beat John Jones. There's someone still out there. I'm sure. Do. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So Yoji Anjo goes to uh, Hicks and Gracie's dojo, challenges them. Now remember, you had the Gracie challenge, a hundred thousand dollars if you beat them. Well, Hicks and Gracie, they they expect him to say no, and he's like, he takes an insult. He's like, sure. And they fight each other, and Hicks and Gracie beats the hell out of him. 
takes it down Mount and and um the uh what's it the MMA encyclopedia who wrote that uh, Jonathan Snowden wrote that he, his face was described as turned into hamburger that's what uh I mean you can just 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 search the name Yoji Enjo's face and you'll see what I'm talking about it's right on there in Google what Hicks and Gracie did to him well, this gets back to Takada, and now Takada, this is his protege. He's got to fight for the honor of his protege, fight for the honor of Japan, fight for the honor of am- amateur, uh, well, excuse me, professional wrestler in the U- UWFI. And uh, a promotion puts it on. That promotion is Pride, the very first Pride. Pride was not set up to be a ongoing event, kind of like UFC 1. UFC 1 was supposed to be just a one-time, let's find out what the Spectacle. best style. Yeah. That's what Pride was. It was supposed to be... It was all done for this professional wrestler to fight the, the baddest guy on the planet. And there was a lot of Japanese people who thought Takata was going to win. Um, obviously, Hicks and Gracie uh, beats him easily, on bars him. Um, but it's what's kicked off Pride. It was so successful event that they ran, I mean, I don't know how many events they ran, 50, 60 events. Um, and you've had legendary fighters like, you know, Kazushi Sakuraba, Fedor Milenko, Quentin Jackson, Vandalay Silva, the Nugera brothers, Dan Henderson, Shogun, Merkakorp. I mean, the list goes on and on. And all of those fighters might not be legendary MMA fighters today if it wasn't for Yoji Anjo, an absolute nobody professional wrestler, flying to America to challenge Hicks and Gracie. And I don't know if we would have the same MMA as we do today if that didn't happen. So my number one unlikely heroes are Yoji Anjo and Nabihiko Takata. Great refresher, man. I was always familiar with Takata, Gracie, Pride 197. But the Anjo story I've heard before, but that refresher in detail was fantastic, man. That was a great pick. It really does, like you said, it set the tone. Uh, for one of the most popular eras and promotions ever, really, for mixed martial arts sake, and for a lot of stars, it it also kind of lays down a lot of the 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 culture and really kind of parlays again. This is kind of unplanned here, but parlays nicely to parlays nicely to my number one, if I must say so myself, sir. <laughs> All right, that's it. I uh, and I don't want to cut it short because again, you know, you go look at whatever Andrew's record was like oh five and two or something when he closed that officially. What you can look up and Takata what two six and two. One of those being a nice little asterisk on the victory, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but again, this kind of talks about something where we don't necessarily understand, and it kind of got mentioned. And granted, that was, it, was, it was maybe out of context and a crazy scenario that was the Mayweather um, what's his name tension Nasakawa. Oh yeah. But yeah. Forget that aside. What, what, just, just, just to highlight one of the things I kind of talked about as far as Japanese culture and why a loss isn't as damning. Okay, and I'm not talking about any of the theories on that fight or whatever faux theories, whatever you want to call them. But as far as the culture in Japanese, that like a loss isn't everything, and based on that yeah, yeah. culture, um, not only mm-hmm. are your two examples as, as, uh, one of the most you know the most historically important examples of that. But it, it paved way for other Japanese fighters who maybe were fit more on the pro wrestling or had more of the pro wrestling background that were able to come over. And some fighters even make careers as losers. That sounds very terrible. Um, in <laughs> fact, this fighter, even though he has 30 losses, he does technically have 43 wins for whatever that worth. He also okay. has eight draws. He was also an undersized <laughs> fighter again. I know who you're going with. Yep, this isn't a, you could do it as a career, but I'm highlighting a specific 
point in time, of course, this was in Japan. Of course, I'm speaking of the tournament era. Of course, I'm speaking of the spectacle era. One of the last spectacle tournaments we have seen, I was not able to be around for the early Pride, like you said. I was not even able to be around to see the freak show matches that Pride later brought, like Bob Sapp and Noguera. I had to go back in time to watch those, Keith. But you know what I did get to watch live? Dream. <laughs> well, Dream okay. 11, the Super Hulk tournament. Ikuisa Minowa beating <laughs> Ong Man Choi. Uh, it wasn't the first giant he beat. It wasn't the first time he he he, he fit this. But goddamn, this was a. Uh, if you got to pick one point of minimal one man's fucking under underrated uh, spectacle career. I mean, and you had Michael Chavello on the call, which I couldn't find yeah. that old footage to go back to find him on the call. It's only the Japanese version I could find. But I'm, which makes me even more grateful, Keith, that I have the live memory stores of being able to take that amazing call. And and it wasn't a technical fight by any means, but it was. Pure spectacle and perhaps a fleeting glimpse in retrospect yeah. of, of that era. So there's my pick. Yeah, there's a guy that was fed to wolves so much. And you have to understand, like, you would think it from our American perspective, you'd think that the people in Pride and Dream and all these ones, that they hated Minowan. But it's, yes. you have to, if you understand the Japanese <laughs> culture, Japanese like, love tragedy and they love, yes. like, the being against all odds and trying to overcome the odds. And in some weird way, like, a guy being outweighed by 100 pounds getting beat up is, is some kind of, like, more glorious thing than just expecting to win. Um, but if you, if you don't know Minowa and you want to, um, basically sum him up, like, you know, they say like a pitcher is worth a thousand words or whatever it's called, go to topology and, and punch in Ikehisa Minowa and look at his profile picture. That to me is the perfect summary of Ikehisa Minowa. That's perfect. Perfect. Per- perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't think, I can't top of a better description. Fo- fo- follow Keith's words on that one. But yeah, for that reason, uh, Minowa Man is, is my, is just the archetype of an unlikely hero culturally and, and I'd argue otherwise. So that was fucking cool. That was fun list, Keith. Yeah, man. I think, I think we definitely went outside the box. We, we took two different strategies. Um, you went more like one night moments. I, I did a, a little bit more of a career view, but, uh, yeah, I definitely don't think it was a, if someone's listening to this, not the names they expected to hear, but, uh, if you, if you love history, we definitely went down the, the historical route and I, I loved it, man. This is, this is great. Yeah. And hopefully the conversation sparked off enough fights and points of history, tournaments, events, what have you to like, at least a couple were that, that at least triggers you. That's the point of these shows that at least want to go back. Because with this stupid, ridiculous schedule, I mean, all this stuff, there's just there's just treasure troves that are just being left behind us that most people don't even bother to look back on. So this is really cool to go through and look. And I think the kind of common thread of this madness, Keith, was that unlikely heroes are a lot, reluctant heroes are a lot harder to come by in this day and age of MMA. <laughs> there's so much MMA. There's so much politics. There's these fake dogmatic structures called rankings that really don't even serve their purpose and all these things. I think there's a reason why most of our picks, most of these endearing characters who probably shouldn't have made it and that got their shot in the sport. It all happened in these other eras, in these other instances, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, just to go back to like, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about not Minowa, another professional wrestler. We, we bash the UFC, but putting CM Punk against Mickey Gall and Mike Jackson. Uh, <laughs> just imagine, imagine if the UFC put CM Punk, but they put him against like the biggest star in the sport. Yeah, and that happened all the time. And that was a regular. That was one a one a card occurrence. 
Yeah, at least once. Like at least once, there's some professional wrestler who she has no shot at winning, getting put in overmatched. But then a lot of these guys, they end up making pretty pretty good. Themselves. Any honorable mentions that almost made the list before we get out of here, Keith? Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think I mentioned that the, the closest ones I thought was uh, Robbie Lawler and Frankie, especially Robbie Lawler's second run, because no, I don't think anybody expected him when he came back to the UFC to win a title. Uh, but it's kind of tough when you have. That's why I thought it was hard to put Sakuraba on it because we look from we, we look at it from a 2019 view instead of at that time. It's yes. really hard to put yourself on. So that's what I was worried that if I gave. Robbie Lawler, people are like, really? What? He's a legend. He's one of the best welterweights of all time. And they wouldn't like get like, no, no. But when he was supposed to get knocked out by Josh Koscheck, they're like, what? Robbie Lawler? Like he was talking about retiring. You know? <laughs> I don't think anybody. So that was that was probably the, that was my biggest honorable mention. But honestly, there's so many, and I'm sure someone will probably message me like, oh, you forgot this one, and I'd be like, oh, dude, you're absolutely right. That's a great pick. So I mean, there's so many. I, I know what you mean, which is why I stuck it to the weird. Like I had some not so weird names. Like I had Nick yeah. and Nate Diaz written next to the Jorge Masvidal honorable mention, right? Derek Lewis, another more common, uh, popular sure. guy. Uh, but yeah. here's here's a couple that I also had. Uh, well, I guess Willie Zhang is the only other one from like oh, yeah. uh, today because you know again, especially yeah, with Chinese culture. I almost put that on just from a culture. It's it's not sure. that it's wrong, but for whatever reason, and the show, I always give credit to the film vault. They do the same thing. I'm not that comfortable with putting things on that just happened because of the recency bias. But if you think of it from a cultural standpoint sure. and how China, I'm Chinese too, by the way, they haven't always had the best, you know, treatment toward women. We'll just say culturally. And I'm Chinese. I'm proud to be that. I'm not trying to say anything bad. I'm just saying the truth here. So mm-hmm. for them to finally China with the, the, the country, that has the most stakes as far as most historical claim to martial arts, right? The most richest history, just worldwide. Forget martial arts, history, history, right? This prestigious place that that fell behind in the industrial age because they lived behind the Great Wall for too long. They have to play catch-up in that sense. Once mixed martial arts came, they they, they have to play catch-up as well because even the more progressed states are are struggling, right? Like Japan, much less China. And they're actually going to get themselves on the global map on the global sports map, on the global mixed martial arts map, all three maps they are minorities in, despite their numbers, and a woman's going to fucking do it? Oh, that's God great. damn, that it's is It's really a huge moment for MMA. We don't really understand it being on this side of the world. We, 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 and I, I think, again, with history, like you said, it's hard for us, especially with a lot of the picks me and you threw out there, we're requiring yeah. people to, to, to put on lenses to go back in time for what yeah. we're talking about with Zhang, it's not even. We're talking. I'm talking about forward in time. I don't think we're, we're going to yeah. realize how big it that we got to see some history. Um, Marius, you know what's cool? Sorry, go ahead. You know what's cool? Sorry, you know what's cool is in, in MMA, and you don't have this many sports, but the you know when you say who, what's the three big superpowers in the world? It's America, China, and Russia. And right now, the UFC has champions in all three of those countries Crazy. from all three of those countries, which is which Triple I think is a very you know we always we always try to write off the UFC's. You know, we're ready to write their eulogy and, and say it's all done because, you know, John Jones is getting in trouble and Conor McGregor doesn't want to fight. But they're, they are growing globally. That's It's so insane that I, I just see greater things for the sport. I agree, man. I agree. Just a, re- a couple more off the list I want to reel out here real quick before we get out. Uh, I, I talk about it too much, but um, Marius Aramskis' Dream 10 run was always a fun one to, to kind of yeah. witness live. Uh, Juan Canero in the Battlegrounds of a Tourney. That was oh, yeah, one of yeah. the last... One night time. Remember, it was kind of yeah, in, a, yeah, yeah. in a lull, a time and period where Bellator was kind of falling out from their tournament things, and 
Coke, right? And so it was kind of at a yep. dulling point. So, and then it, it got Juan Canero another shot in the UFC. Uh, Dan yeah. Kelly's run from UFC 193 to UFC 209 was impressive, man. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, you got some great picks, man. Um, I put Patty Houlihan almost. If he beats Luis okay. Mocha at UFC yeah. Fight Night 76, he's he's like the Charlie Brennan spot, right? Because remember, that was yeah. supposed to be Poirier Duffy. And yeah. uh, Duffy or someone got a concussion. Um, and, uh, almost, and then I put John Jones in retrospective at UFC 128. And the funny thing is, why was John Jones a reluctant hero? He was picked to be the great. He's still great. He's always been great. If you look at John Jones timeline in reverse, then the guy who on his day off was too busy to double back after hitting a pregnant woman, but could double back for his cash and weed pipe. You're telling me that that guy is the same guy who the day of his title fight? Went yeah. to stop a mugger at UFC 128 before fighting Shogun Hua. That's an unlikely hero. If you really, yeah, if you look yeah, at John, they, if you look yeah, at him reverse, the, you look at all the bad shit he's done yeah. from like now to yeah. then, because because <laughs> that was the turning point, right? That was like the last good John Jones, and then it was like Bentley's and Hooker shortly after that. <laughs> yeah, got the title. So if you look at it in retrospective, there's a strong argument that John Jones is the most unlikely hero. I put that for comedy. Yeah. So I, I have a very special place in my heart for John Jones. Um, I saw John Jones before he was in the UFC fighting in a ballroom in Worcester, Massachusetts. Whoa! His third ever his third ever fight he won against Anthony Pina, an ice fighter. I was in the back. I was fighting. I used to fight back in the day, and I had a. I only fought once. I won you know, by knockout. I never fought again. Uh, but I was cornering a guy, and I was talking to him, tall, skinny, black guy, talking about how great of a wrestler he was. And I'm like, Yeah, I show you the greatest wrestler. I always hear that. And it was go figure with John Jones. Holy and shit. I. I write for a sure dog. I, I'm not the best writer by any means, but I, I'm very proud to write for them. But my proudest moment ever that for me association is you go to um, you can Google it. You can, it's still out there. Google the UFC 87 sure dog roundtable about midway through. I call up. I was I was only a fan back then. I didn't write for them. I called up. I talked to TJ DeSantis, uh, oh. Greg, Greg Savage. Jeff Sherwood, Jordan Breen, like four to me, legendary MMA media guys, guys I really look up to. And I called them at UFC 87. I saw they were all picking Andre Guzman, who, if you remember, was a big hotshot coming out of the NFL. And I told these guys they were all crazy that John Jones taking the fight on short notice was going to – they were going to – they were all idiots for for picking against John Jones, that John Jones was going to suplex him and smoke him. He didn't suplex him, but – and they still give me credit this day. It's the first one to believe in John Jones. That's, so that's my fucking that's my badass. number of every single thing I've ever done in MMA, being the first person to publicly declare John Jones gonna be a superstar. That's it. No, no, don't get me wrong. I, don't get me wrong. I have made tons <laughs> of bad predictions. So, hey, like, same here, but you're, you're like, talking to him. Like for an example, so if I'm gonna give you my best one, I'll give you my worst one. There was a guy coming up on the scene that I just kept saying. I don't get the hype on this guy. He's one-dimensional, has no wrestling. He's never going to do anything. Everyone's getting excited for nothing. Uh, that person's name is Conor McGregor. So, Holy shit. Okay, so wow. as good as my one pick was, my other one was very terrible. Keith Schilling, right? <laughs> and an Irishman of all, of all people. Uh, I'll admit when I was wrong, man. I'll, I'll I figured your area was, par- was partial to those people, huh? Come on. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I, it's my it's my undying love for wrestlers, and I said, man, yeah, man, they, they were watching the film on him, seeing him get submitted by Joe Duffy, and I'm like, I don't see it. Yeah, he's he's got some power, but I mean, he doesn't have a ground game. And will we be God here? was. Will we be here? I, I think I'm still a little bit right, but generally speaking, 
I, I was totally wrong in that I said I don't know why I was getting excited about that guy. Hey brother, we'd be here too long <laughs> if I had to get into all the picks I was wrong about. But uh, uh I, I, and, and you know what's the worst part about it? And not to go back, harken back to the beginning of the episode, but like I'm always wrong about the picks that are like there's something I'm figuring out about my process here. I think it's me being a fucking diehard contrarian. I don't even realize it. I'm such a contrarian, but like. I don't care about being wrong on picks. I've been doing this long enough to where it's like I, 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 it's not a big deal, right? And I'm, I'm much better about that. But at the same time, I will be honest. It would be nice to like be right about at least one popular fight. Like I feel like I'm always on the wrong side of like the most polarizing fights, like the, the, the McGregor and Ramaga made off this one, or like picking a. Picking uh, Pettis against Diaz, and I'm like, but you know, or picking uh, Askren against yeah. Masvidal, and I'm like, and people, you know, I was like, oh my god, and just being, yeah, I'm, I'm the fucking worst. Don't listen to me on popular fights, people. But you know uh, what's up? Is if you pick a fight right, but you completely pick it wrong, if you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like I hate when people be like, oh, I told you Masvidal was win. I actually picked Masvidal, but I didn't pick he's gonna fly and me knock him out. Like, or, or someone's like, oh yeah. I I knew that guy was going to win, but like, wait a minute! You said he was going to get takedowns or right out of decision, not yes. throw a yes, taker. Yes, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, Stop. yeah. Like, I try. To, I also try to do that too. Even <laughs> yeah. when I'm right on the pick, I go, "Hey, you know, I was right on this pick." Well, yeah, but I actually didn't think. I actually thought it was going to be like this. So, so yeah, I know what you mean. I try to. I try to include that in me. But man, this this has been this has been blast. I really dug that John Jones story. I did not know that, and I think that's really cool because both me and you. We're both fans of, uh, again, I love Sherdog as well. Uh, I'm sure you visit, and I work for Junkie. I'm sure you visit yeah, more, than, more, more websites than what you work for and are a fan of. But, but uh, I I've, support Junkie. Uh, Nolan King, uh, not to change the topic, sorry. Nolan King's probably my closest friend in, in, in MMA, and he just joined you guys. It's good, so, people. Uh, good people right there, man. All you guys are got a great people. team over there. I'm uh, lucky to have Nolan. I love Nolan. That makes sense that you guys are friends, good people there. But yeah, man. Like I said, like we were both uh, fans of things. We both called in with predictions. Uh, I didn't have that crazy of predictions. Although I did predict uh, Nate Diaz to beat uh, Marcus David by TKO cuts doctor stoppage and like I had, like a crazy run of like fight predictions I used to do, and then ended up being on the show. Of course, Nate Diaz. If it was anywhere, if it wasn't Marcus Davis, and if it wasn't in Boston, that prediction would have been correct because the doctor came in to look at that fight twice to stop it. Between two and three. Anyways, but you know, you just, you, but that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't hold the candle to the John Jones thing. I'll tell you, that doesn't hold the candle to the John Jones thing. I love that. I love seeing people like yourself, especially because not, you're not just a good person, Keith. You do great work. I know you're self deprecating about your writing, but people look at it, read his previews on Sherdog, go to the MMA takeover.com, listen to him on Loudmouth, uh, Cage yeah. Side Press, wherever else, where, where, if there's anywhere else I'm missing, free, feel free to plug before we get out of here. But, but thank you. Yeah, Keith. No, you hit them all. You hit them all. But one thing I do got to point out, I have very good editors so so my writing will look better than it actually is i got great writers like brian matt does a, most of my editing for sure dog i gotta give him credit he makes me seem like a much better writer <laughs> and then at cage side press uh i think dan doherty and, and dan and jay over there they do most of my uh most of my uh editing over there those guys make me look like a better writer than i am speaking of editing we're at like 228 i think the longest <laughs> episode i've done was 205 and now a lot oh, of that I'm is sorry, commercial. Man. no 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 a lot of that's commercial and us talking before the episode and in between as well so there's fat to trim there um if i sorry, don't get this down no no don't apologize uh, this is awesome i was hoping for this i'm glad you had the time to talk you were the one of the best people to talk to by MMA history, Keith. Excellent. So, folks listening, thank you for sticking with us, especially if this ends up being a two-part episode. Reason why I bring that up. So, in case this is a part two and you followed us all the way here, thank you so much. Uh, make sure you follow Keith at Keith Schillen MMA. That'll be the easier way just to follow his work. You follow me at Dan Tom MMA. Uh, any last words before we go, Keith? No, man. Hey, it's an honor. You know, I'm a big fan of your work and a big fan of the show. So, I'm honored to come on. 
again, folks, proof that I one of the twenty listeners. I told you I've got at least twenty. We got we got <laughs> one on here. I no, no, just kidding. I appreciate that, Keith. And for you folks out there, um, just enjoy it. Enjoy the stretch we're on. I know I'm technically on vacation, but I'm going to be having content for you uh, this week. I got some stuff going on. Uh, I want to talk about now, but I will just leave us all on a positive message. I think we can all agree on, which is. Uh, uh, love your friends and family. Sometimes your friends are your family. Uh, if you, you have someone that you want to tell that you love them or just you appreciate them and you don't get around to do it enough, stop this podcast. Go do it right now. Enjoy your weekend. And always protect Yannick.